Welcome to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman, and today we're joined by Mike Davis, who is the founder and president of Unsilenced Majority. It's an organization dedicated to opposing cancel culture and fighting back against what he calls the woke mob and their enablers. Also, Jason Nichols, a regular Newsweek opinion contributor and senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland College Park. Gentlemen, welcome to the debate. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So uh, last night in a very timely late night address, <laughs> we got the news that was no news whatsoever. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, announced that he is running in 2024, first to enter the field on the Republican side. Your reaction? Let's start with you, Mike. I would say that anyone who writes off Donald Trump uh, is making a mistake. This guy has been in the public eye for nearly 50 years uh, he's had his ups and, uh, ups and downs. Uh, people laughed at him when he ran in 2016, and he ended up winning. I, I think he's Teflon Don. I'm supporting him. I'm a Republican. I'm a Trump supporter. Um, I, I, I like Governor DeSantis as well, but I think that Donald Trump's going to win the primary. And I think Democrats may be surprised again in November of 2024 when Trump, uh, when Trump reclaims the White House. I love it when somebody calls it a year and a half out. Well done. Way to go out there on the limb. Uh, Jason, what do you think? What was your reaction? Man, uh, so first of all, I would say that uh, it was low energy. Uh, it just seemed like it wasn't the normal Donald Trump that we normally see. Uh, we saw his family wasn't there. Ivanka wasn't there. Matt Gates wasn't even there. Um, it really seemed like he's more isolated and on an island. And when you're when you're flanked by the My Pillow guy and Roger Stone, things can't be going well. Now we all know why he's doing this. He's trying to shield himself from investigations and indictments. Uh, and again, I think also the the strength that Donald Trump used to project that I think a lot of Republicans were attracted to. He doesn't really have that strength anymore. And I don't know if it's from these midterms where he suffered all of these incredible losses in the in these swing states, um, or if it's the investigations, or if it was the loss in 2020 that he still won't accept. But he just doesn't seem to project that strength. And as a matter of fact, he even said during the speech, I am a victim. Like, no one wants to hear that from a leader. Like, I don't know of any leader in the world, and he was the guy who was supposed to be the strong man. Uh, when you're saying, I am a victim, that just doesn't sound, that toughness, that veneer that he used to have uh, isn't there anymore. And the perception of him as a winner, you know, we saw 2018, big losses. 2020, loss. And now, in 22, all of his people lost, or a lot of the ones in competitive races, they all lost. So I want to I want to get Mike's I, reaction to that, but but I want to just push back for on one second. Mike's point was don't underestimate him. Sure. Right? Everybody always underestimates him. Um, it, would you be at least willing to think that possibly you're viewing it from sort of your perspective, underestimating him like everybody does? No, I, I'm. I don't think anyone is underestimating Donald Trump. Um, I, I think he will probably win. A Republican nomination, uh, but you're going to see a lot more opposition than you've seen in the past. You're going to see people who are going to stand up to him in the in the Republican Party more than they did in the in the past. I mean, he's somebody who used to make grown men cower, and I never understood it. It's something that they were like scared. I was like, "What? 
from what is from it Marco that I don't Rubio, know? Marco Rubio I'm not to Mitt Romney to yeah, yeah it, I mean you know the field insane. of battle was laid waste. So Mike, what do you make of that? I mean, you see the New York Post has clearly turned the other way on Trump. I mean, they ran you know uh, Trumpy Dumpty, and uh, they actually derided the announcement as being from some Florida guy makes an announcement basically. <laughs> And you're seeing uh, loads of uh, Republicans kind of take that same tack. And as you know, Jason mentioned, Ivanka said, I'm out. Uh, what do you make of his position vis-a-vis other power players in the Republican Party right now? No, I w- let's let's go to the Ivanka says she's out. If you actually look at her statement, it's actually quite understandable. She gave a very strong supportive statement of her father. She just says that she has young kids and she doesn't want to put her young kids through the political uh, meat grinder again. She wants to be a mother, but her her husband, um, Jared, was at the announcement. So I don't think there's any I don't think there's any sunlight between Ivanka and her father there. I would just say, look, uh, you the the Republicans certainly had setbacks in this midterm election. Uh, midterm elections they did not go as well as I had hoped, as many Republicans as, uh, had hoped. Frankly, as many Democrats expected, the polling was not accurate. I don't think it picked up a lot of the 18 to 29 year olds who showed up in droves uh, and did not reflect in the polling. I think there were a lot of reasons why the Republicans did not do well in the midterm elections. Maybe abortion had something to do with it. Maybe Trump had something to do with it. Maybe the fact that these states have moved to all mail balloting and Democrats are a heck of a lot better than Republicans at chasing votes and getting those votes turned in. There are a lot of things that could have caused problems with the midterm elections. But I, all I'm saying is, is that, remember, everyone in the world knows who Donald Trump is, good or bad. Uh, and the, the attacks that you can make on other Republican candidates that would stick to other Republican candidates because they're just not well-known, they're not defined candidates, do not stick with Donald Trump. I mean, th- this is Teflon Don. There's There's not much more you can say about Donald Trump that people that will move people one way or the other on his negatives. And he has shown in the past that he can surprise a lot of people and win upset victories. So uh, I I hope the Democrats, as uh, as my former boss, George W. Bush, would say, misunderestimate Donald Trump because (laughs) they may wake up uh, after the election in uh, 2024 stunned again. Well, they they may not have the uh, the strategy they need best, but uh, you know they'll say whatever they believe about it, right? So, 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 so Jason, I, I read this as there's um there's kind of three groups out there. There's folks like Mike who are thrilled to see their guy back in. Uh, I frankly, I think p- folks on the left, you tell me if I'm wrong, are thrilled to see a guy they've beat one time. They think they can beat again, and he's not as formidable as he once was. Because the third group of people who voted for him twice and will not vote for him a third time, I hear from a lot of those folks consistently that supported, supported, and now they're just they don't want that product again. Uh, how do you read it from the left perspective in terms of viability to beat him if he becomes the nominee, if in the general election? Well, I, I would argue again that that we've beaten him three times, you know, in the midterms in 2018, 2020, uh, clear and resoundingly, not only in the popular vote, but also in the Electoral College. And then in 2022, we beat all of his candidate, all of his candidates in any of those swing states, uh, which confirmed 2020. So I, I think we've beaten him several times. Uh, I think he 
Maybe Teflon in terms of investigations, <laughs> he seems to shrug those off. But we'll see uh, about uh, elections because he hasn't he doesn't have a good record of that. He won in 2016 against a historically, historically weak candidate. Um, even though she was very qualified, she was somebody who was incredibly unpopular uh, and still is in a lot of ways. So um, I think it's a different race even against uh, a weakened Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden beats him again. And as a matter of fact, the very point that Mike just made is the point that I would make. I would just come to a different conclusion. That is that uh, when you have an unknown candidate, like for example, a 2008 Barack Obama, an unknown entity versus a Hillary Clinton who has a long long track record. Um, it sometimes can be difficult to beat those people when you don't know a, a whole lot about them. They don't have a big legislative history or anything like that. That's what was in Donald Trump's favor in 2016. He didn't have a legislative or voting history or anything like that. All he had was a business history and he was able to somehow shrug off all of his business failures. But when you're talking about now in 26, uh, excuse me, 2024, now he's a known entity. There are things that we've seen with him as president that can be attacked. And DeSantis, you know, we see that with a lot of people pinning their hopes in that direction. But I, I hope DeSantis doesn't run or I hope that that Trump beats him. I think most of us recognize that DeSantis is a much more difficult matchup, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's uh, Gretchen Whitmer whomever it is, uh, I think DeSantis is a tougher matchup. And, and that's just a fact. I'll, I'll state that out loud. I'd much rather right. face Donald Trump with all his QAnon conspiracies than face one of, uh, you know, face DeSantis or someone like him. The Republican field at this point seems to very clearly have four candidates, even though one's only officially declared. We have former President Trump. We have Governor DeSantis, obviously not yet declared. Uh, Mike Pence seems like he declared the other night just about. And uh, Mike Pompeo, when you look across that field, what do you think of a GOP primary where we're looking at former Vice President Pence running against his boss, President Trump, Mike? Well, I think a crowded primary field is going to help President Trump. I mean, that and that's uh, it, you're going to see a lot of these other primary candidates like Mike Pence and, uh, and Pompeo, Mike Pompeo splitting the uh, the vote of the Republicans who don't want Trump and Trump's going to get probably 40 percent, maybe more of the primary vote. And the rest is going to be splintered among the other primary um, candidates. I, I, I do want to point out that in 2018, we talked about Trump losing the last three elections. He didn't in 2018. He uh, we I, I was on the Senate Judiciary Committee running uh, Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation at the time, and we ended up picking up two Senate seats in the Senate Republicans did in 2018. And that was the first time since 2002, since after 9-11, that the party with the presidency gained Senate seats. So it's just not true that Trump lost three elections in a row. We won in 2018. Uh, we lost some seats in the House, but it wasn't as bad as as we expected it to be, considering that I think the, the vote margin was plus 8.6% for Democrats in 2018. So it ended up, ended up being a good year for, for Republicans. Um, as for 2024, uh, you know what? I, I, I actually think that President Trump's speech, it was serious. It was substantive. 
It was presidential. It was somber. It was exactly the right message and tone that he needed after this midterm elections for people to understand where this country is heading under President Biden and the sharp contrast that a President Trump would bring back to the White House. And so I think it it uh, reassured a lot of P- uh, Trump supporters who were nervous after the midterm elections. And he's going to he'll come back. He's going to he's going to build his way back from, uh, you know, this is probably his low right now after the midterm elections. And um, and so I, I agree with the fact that he's not invincible like he once was. But I think he's going to build back and come back stronger, uh, maybe even humble, which would be uh, uh, which would wow. be quite nice. Okay, so, wow. Maybe so shocking. a year. It's one thing to call the primary for Trump a year and a half out. It's a whole other level of bold to call humility <laughs> for President Trump. I mean, I'm gonna, that's that's an on the record comment, Mike. You can't walk that one back. So, no, I, I said I am, more, hum- I am, more humbled, more humbled. Oh, well, so that's from a zero to a half a point. OK, I got you. There. Fair <laughs> um, so I, I am curious, though, uh, I want to get your thoughts on this, Jason. But just real quickly, Mike, um, your read on Pence. This week, the weirdest thing to me was watching the left, which has been so anti Pence for his entire life on everything. All of a sudden, he's our buddy because he's, you know, against Donald. Right. I like Mike Pence. I think he's a good guy. Uh, You know, I think he tries to do the right thing. I think he has zero chance of being president. And it's, you know, he could he could pretend like he's going to be president. I think every politician thinks that they're going to be president, especially if you're a senator or, or a vice president. But if you look at those two offices, it just doesn't happen very often that senators or vice presidents become president. Uh, they're always seen as playing second fiddle. They're always seen as not being strong, decisive leaders. Uh, Joe Biden made it somehow as a senator and a former vice president, but it's it's rare. And so I think that if it's not a you know if it's not Trump, you're going to see a governor stepping up. Maybe DeSantis. If, if Trump doesn't, if Trump does decides not to run, which I think is. Uh, that's not going to happen. But let's just say he decides he's not going to run. I think Governor DeSantis would far and away be the the front runner for the for the Republican you nomination. If, if Pence decides not to run, or did you mean Trump? No, me Trump. If Trump does not, decides not to run, if Trump does not oh. run, which he will, but if he doesn't run, it's gonna it's it's I not going to go to Pence. It's going to go to DeSantis. Yeah, I would I would think that's fair. Jason, your thought on the uh, the Pence interview comments and potential run for twenty twenty four. Is he a friend um, of the left now? No. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where you got this idea that, you know, the left loves Mike Pence. Um, the left thinks that Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th, uh, where there is a big contrast between, uh, at that time, the president of the United States, who's supposed to have the United States uh, and our institutions uh, in, at, at his, uh, you know, in his heart and, and supposed to do the right thing. And, you know, there were two people there that one did the right thing and the other did the wrong thing. But um, I I don't think that he's a friend of of Democrats. Of course, we like to see them mixing it up a little bit over there on the right. But he's not going to get Democratic votes, you know. And of course, uh, in a Republican primary, he does not have even a chance, like not even a shot. You know, he'll probably he probably get beaten by like you know, Christy Nome or, and I've, and I've interviewed Christy Nome. She's not the one, uh, there, you know, she'll, he'll get beaten by any one of those, you know, Nikki Haley, or, you know, one of these grab bag Republicans that you can find. 
Um, I, I would also like to push back on something that Mike said. You know, losing 40 seats is not some losses. <laughs> like, that's a, that are, those are major losses that flip the House of Representatives. So, you know, they already had the Senate. They won a couple, uh, you know, two. But 40 is a lot of losses uh, in a lot of places. So I think that, that it's important to state that. Um, and again, we, we saw that on the Democratic side where, you know, uh, 2010, Obama lost 60. You know what I mean? Where it was just blood in the hallways. You see those kinds of bloodbaths, you have to acknowledge them. You can't shrug them off and say that they're nothing. Those were big losses. And the conventional wisdom was that in a president's first term, he loses major, major amounts of races in the House. And we're in an inflationary environment. It, it seemed like, you know, everybody but me, you know, I have to give myself credit with saying, oh, this is a red wave. This is a red wave. And I was like, this is going to be a red ripple at best. And we saw that. And part of that was Donald Trump putting up a bunch of election deniers. And, you know, that helped Democrats everywhere. I remember they were saying Latinos were going to, you know, run to the, the Republican Party. And, you know, that election with Maida Flores was going to be this bellwether and all that. And she lost. You know what I mean? And all these, you know, if you look at the, the exit polls from Wisconsin, 85% of Latinos voted for the Democratic candidate who actually lost uh, in that Senate race. I think you have to acknowledge that this, this was not good news for Republicans and certainly not good news for Donald Trump. And it does well, not I, say I, a whole I, lot of good things. I, for the I, next I will note years. one thing, the prediction that Mike made of some more humility for Trump. Uh, <laughs> you're not drinking that drink. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking the credit for the prediction. Uh, also, I, I'm I just saying love, I got it I, right. love, I didn't say I, I caused Red it. Ripple. I think Red Ripple should be a marketing brand. I like Red Ripple as a drink. Yeah. Uh, Jason, <laughs> Mike, we're going to take a quick break on the debate. When we come back, we're going to talk about Dave Chappelle, uh, SNL, and uh, cancel culture. I know something that you're very fond of talking about, Mike. I'm Andrew Tallman, and this is the debate at Newsweek. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman. We've got Mike Davis and Jason Nichols with us. Mike, uh, Dave Chappelle goes to SNL and he makes the show funny for the first time in a long time. But did he invite anti-Semitism into the mainstream? Did he do what was needed? What's your take on that appearance? You know, I have mixed feelings. I, I, I don't like racist comments. I don't like anti-Semitic comments. But you have to also remember that it's comedy. And they poke fun of all sides. They make fun of white people, Catholic people, black people, gay people, straight people. I mean, 
that's kind of the point of comedy. And we've just gotten to a point in society where everyone's offended by everything. Uh, there's, it's like we, we, we try to be offended instead of just, you know, I grew up with red hair. I grew up, you know, we, we are the last open season target in, in the world is the redheads. I want to start the National Association for the Advancement of Ginger People because it's open season on us. We're daywalkers. We're made fun of on South Park. But you know what? You well, just, we have no souls. Sometimes I mean, we just have that's to. That's an objective reality. It's been so measured. Seriously. We have no souls. Exactly. We need to not take ourselves so seriously. We need to stop being offended by so much. And you know what? There are real problems in the world. And Dave, Dave Chappelle making uh, you know inappropriate jokes is, is not at the top of the list. Jason, your thoughts on what uh, <laughs> Dave Chappelle said on Saturday and or the place in terms of the overall concern we have with insulting or bringing back into the mainstream what we think is a dying uh, racism, anti-Semitism. But, you know, we, we saw what he said. We saw the reaction to it by the Anti-Defamation League. Yeah, I, I thought, honestly, I didn't see anything wrong with what Chappelle said. Um, I think he was saying, look, anytime you say duh and well, any ethnic group after that, it never works out well. It's There's nothing good that comes after that. The Jews, the Blacks, the, you know, the Mexicans. Like, it, it never is good after you say the and an ethnic group afterward. The Muslims, whatever it is. So um, I, I thought that, that was a pretty good message that a lot of people should pick up on. Um, I really didn't see the, the anti-Semitism in it. Uh, and I'm glad to hear, you know, with, with Mike saying that he doesn't like, you know, uh, you know, racism. Uh, none of us should or, or any kind of anti-Semitism and things like that. And I, I personally would love to know how he tolerates, you know, uh, Donald Trump calling, uh, you know, people, you know, Coco Chow and talking about how a Taiwanese woman now, we're not talking about a Chinese world, but a Taiwanese American woman somehow has loyalties to China, which makes absolutely no sense. And then for the, the record, I want, I want to inject here that uh, what the listeners can't see is Mike dying with laughter. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, fair, you know. I don't know how to interpret that, but either way, you know, either way, you know, the Kung flu and Yunkin sounds Chinese and Jews are disloyal and all of these kinds of things, uh, I think, are, you know, kind of troubling. And, you know, it's one thing when things come from a comedian. I agree with Mike that, you know, we have to have a little bit more uh, leeway for comedians. And I definitely think if you don't like a comedian, you can certainly criticize that comedian or say, look, that, that's not even funny or whatever it is. That's part of your First Amendment rights. And I think a lot of these people who complain about cancel culture are really just really sensitive softies that can't take criticism. We're allowed to criticize someone for doing something wrong or say, I don't want to buy it or even say, I don't want to consume this and neither should you. You know, or or maybe, hey, let's not consume this person's product. Even one step farther, like my take on Chappelle was, I love to see groups that you're not normally going to hear criticized or made fun of. I love to see those groups made fun of because that's including them in the culture. You know, my friends, like if I'm not making fun of you, we're not friends. And right. so to me, comedy has a way of it seems like it's attacking and marginalizing, but it's really including people in the conversation. And 
only when we can make fun of gay people and make fun of black people and make fun of Jews and make fun of Christians and, you know, men and I mean, make fun of everybody, then everybody's in the conversation. And I thought, you know, whether it was going back to his Netflix special or the SNL comments that it might seem like he's criticizing the protected groups. But I think in reality, he's including them in the cultural conversation. Mike, do you read it that way at all? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think that the comedy points out the, you know, the differences between us and the similarities between us. And it it puts it in the open in a funny way so people can actually have the discussion without having to be you know, so nervous about being offensive and, you know, it, I just think we need to be less politically correct on everything we do in life and take ourselves less seriously. We're a lot more alike than we are different until, until we're making fun of each other. We're not friends. Jason agree with that. Uh, yeah. Within, within limits. I think there are ways, sure. Yeah. you know, I think a lot of times people think, well, I can say this or I can say that. And, and, you know, some of that, you know, where I come from, get your get your butt kicked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I'm gonna sit there and be like, "Hey, you, you know, we're you you know, not friends with that guy, and maybe you shouldn't <laughs> have said that to him." Um, so I think that there are consequences to what people say, and I think there should be consequences. And I think when you are genuinely offended, you have every right to stand up and say, "I'm offended. I don't like it." Um, you know, protest, boycott, that's part of your First Amendment rights. It's his right to say it. It's your right to criticize. And I, and I think that's the way uh, things should operate. But I also think that sometimes, you know, there, there is kind of an overcorrection and a little bit of extra sensitivity. Um, and when people state opinions, you know, you can take it, you know, sometimes without always wanting to be angry. I think they're also one of the things that we're missing in our society is an opportunity to educate. I'm an educator. If you, you know, think someone just is ignorant and doesn't understand something, instead of attacking them, sometimes say, hey, pull them aside and say, hey, this was wrong. And these are the reasons. Um, and I think we would get a lot farther instead of attacking people where sometimes people automatically get defensive, sometimes extend an olive branch and try to educate them and, and hopefully they'll learn something. Sometimes they won't. And, and it definitely, I mean, certainly there's limits and it gives me pause to realize that, you know, the uh, anti-Semites of the world were cheering Chappelle too, right? That's, <laughs> that's not a comfortable alliance to have. Yeah. And you're right. It can become toxic. It can go too far. And uh, we've got obviously got to watch out for that and the, the sort of encouragement that that brings. Uh, we're talking with Mike Davis and Jason Nichols here on the debate. When we come back, uh, big news also in the last day or two over Ukraine, Poland, what's going to happen with NATO. We'll talk about it when we return on the debate. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Welcome back to the debate. Uh, we're talking about Ukraine and Poland and what looks at this point like an errant defensive uh, surface-to-air missile that it looks like probably Ukraine fired to defend itself against a barrage of missiles that was incoming from Russia. And the question then is, well, you've got two people who died in this Polish town. Is Russia responsible? What's going to happen? Is this an Article 5, an Article 4? What exactly is going to be implicated here? Let's start with you, Jason. Um, does this seem like the kind of thing where NATO does anything, or do they just write this off as, well, this is just an accident and it wasn't by Russia, therefore we're going to pause? Yeah, I think that they're they're not going to do anything. They, they went with Article 4, which is, I think, the... Uh, you know, having an emergency meeting, but they've had six of those already during this nine month or 10 month um, war in, in Ukraine. So that's not a surprise. And they realize that this is, um, you know, this was an errant missile. My question, of course, in, in my mind is, you know, did Russia kind of bait this, you know, by flying in, in certain airspace and, and trying to get them to shoot a missile that would go, uh, you know, to their east, uh, excuse me, to their west. Um, but either way, I think Russia is responsible. Um, but I don't think that this, you know, should escalate the war at all. You know, um, as a matter of fact, I hope that we can find an off ramp. I don't think Putin is going to accept any kind of off ramp, but hopefully Ukraine and the Russians will be able to come together at some point to actually end this war uh, so that you know, the United States can go back to uh, spending lots of money on its own domestic um, concerns. But I, I don't, you know, I don't think anything NATO should do anything other than what they've been doing, which is funding Ukraine, helping Ukraine uh, to protect their sovereignty. Mike, your thoughts on, you know, whether NATO will do anything specific or really, you know, who is to blame for this? One analogy, I was talking with a, a cop friend of mine before we came on the show, and I was thinking about a bank robbery where the, the only person who gets hurt in the bank robbery is the cops who are shooting at the bad guys wind up killing a bystander by accident. Under those circumstances, the uh, the bank robbers get felony murder charges because the cops are just defending and trying to stop the crime and an innocent gets killed. Russia clearly fired their missiles and Ukraine is defending itself. It's still Russia's fault, isn't it? Yeah, maybe, but I would say this: this is the whole uh, this is the whole problem with this this whole Ukraine policy, this whole U uh, Ukraine quagmire. I think it's just going to be an endless problem for America. How many? We should step back and ask this: How many Americans are willing to sacrifice one of their loved ones or even one of their paychecks for Ukraine? And I and I say this as someone I think uh, Putin is a monster uh, and. But I would also say this, Obama put Biden in charge of Ukraine when, when Obama was president and Biden was vice president. Biden's corrupt family made millions of dollars off of Ukraine. Uh, back in 2014, Russia took Crimea, and now Russia's back, and I think Putin smells the weakness. And uh, this is a problem. And then you have Zelensky, who has different interests than the United States. It's Remember, Zelensky has everything to lose in Ukraine, everything. He can lose his life, his livelihood, everything in Ukraine if, if Russia wins. 
And that would be terrible if if Russia won. And they I, and they're 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 monsters for invading Ukraine. But remember, you, Zelensky's interests are not the same as America's interests. They're not aligned. Uh, we do not have everything in a lo- America does not have everything to lose in Ukraine like like Zelensky does. And we have to remember that. So before we get dragged into World War Three to save Ukraine to save Zelensky, let's make sure it's in America's interest and we saw with ukraine's uh foreign minister yesterday was putting out propaganda that this was a russian missile when we know that's not true and what what do we do what if we would have invoked article five and it's it's an attack on poland and all of a sudden we're in world war three i think we need to step back and just be uh, more rational about this and stop being emotional let's get our ukraine flags out of our bios and out of our yards and let's start thinking about what's in America's best interest. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to watch as I I agree with you. Some of the propaganda that comes out of Ukraine, whether it's their defense ministry uh, talking about the numbers of dead from the Russian side and the military equipment lost without really cataloging their own losses or, as you say, rushing to blame on who made the missile, who sent the missile, who's responsible for it. Um, Jason, you know, it seems to me there's a distinction here based on whether it's a Ukraine problem. We all want Ukraine to win because we want Russia as an invader to lose. The question is to what degree are our interests aligned and to what degree is NATO? I mean, should NATO really be just kind of waiting in case or is this the beginning of that provocation? And even kind of as Mike hinted at without saying, is there some appeal from the Ukrainian perspective of drawing NATO in? Obviously, because that would be a way to help them win more, right? Thus far, I'm going to believe that Ukraine is being honorable um, in in that regard, that they're not trying to draw us into a war with Russia, Um, that they just want to defend their territory and maintain their sovereignty. Um, And I I understand the argument um, that Mike is making in, in terms of, you know, what are American interests in Ukraine? I think America's interest, as it is in in Taiwan um, and in, in, frankly, in other parts of the world, is that we can't let our competitors get too powerful. Ukraine has resources. And if Russia takes control of those resources, and the other question is, what is to stop Russia? We saw this. We should have seen Ukraine coming, by the way. I mean, if, if we saw what the Russians did in Chechnya, uh, you know, 20 years ago, we should have known that Vladimir Putin wants to retake as much of the territory that they lost during, uh, you know, it, for the USSR. He wants to take it back and bring Russian glory back. And he sees this as a historical fight. And so we have a vested interest in not letting Russia become a superpower again. We have a vested interest in not waiting and saying, well, you know, we're not going to fund Ukraine. We need to think about these things. And then all of a sudden you've got an Eastern Bloc again. Um, I think it's it's within uh, it is, uh, you know, within the American interest to address this. How much, you know, I'll let the experts debate that. But we definitely do have an interest in the region um, and we do have an interest uh, to, to help Ukraine maintain their sovereignty we stayed out with you know for the most part with crimea um but i think when they wanted to take the entire country we have 
a reason to, to be involved in that. But we do not have a reason. Let me be clear. We do not have a reason to go in and fight that war. That is the Ukrainians' war. We can help them. We can supply them. But we are not responsible for boots on the ground or, you know, planes in the sky. Like, that is up to the Ukrainians. And if they lose that war with, uh, you know, NATO equipment and all that, that's that's on them, you know. Um, but we we should try to help them and it is in our in our interest just as it is in taiwan at the uh, at the risk of le- leaping to a conclusion i think we found agreement i think that uh, mike <laughs> and uh jason you guys both agree that there is some value obviously in seeing an outcome that's more just but that for the united states to get directly involved at this point based on the history and current geopolitics would be a very bad move is that a uh, is that a yes from both of you I agree with that. I would say, I would say yes. I would just remind you guys that uh, this happened under Biden the first time uh, with Crimea, and it happened with Biden again. And when you have a weak president, Russia takes takes advantage of a weak president. This didn't happen during Trump. No, and I, you know, and I think there's there's a certain fairness to that, uh, and that's certainly the case that Trump made last night, right? In his in his speech, he kind of you know mentioned they wouldn't be doing these things. Yeah, uh, you know, I, again, he was giving Putin you know shoulder rubs. You know, the whole time. So, of course. But he wasn't whispering in his ear. OK, that's the big difference. He wasn't whispering in his ear. Yeah, he, he right, was doing so the Biden smell in his hair, uh, <laughs> whatever hair he has left. Um, and that's why, you know, of course, there were better outcomes in, in terms of Russia. But better believe Russia doesn't, you know, Putin doesn't care about Trump. He's really, you know, he, you know, he's he's not avoiding trump because he's scared of him like none of that that's all nonsense i I think he you know it just happened right now uh because putin saw an an opportune time to attack and that's the way it worked out delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, I got I got to ask this question. I don't know if you guys are big baseball fans or not, but I am. It's my sport. I love college as a second place. Pete Rose writes a letter to Rob Manfred and says, "Please, pretty please, please put me back in eligibility so that I can be in the Hall of Fame." You know, I didn't I didn't bet against the Reds when I was managing them. Uh, you know, I did my stuff, but do you guys think there's any chance uh that Pete Rose gets named re-eligible and gets allowed to be back in the Hall of Fame? While he's alive, what he's 81 or something like this, uh, Michael, come to you first. Any chance of this happening? I don't think so. I mean, he was permanently banned from the Hall of Fame and he never took personal responsibility. Um, what, what, what was his request back like in 2015? Yeah, and so I don't think he took personal responsibility back then. So why, why should they change now? Jason, you see Pete Rose getting in the Hall of Fame while he's alive or even being reinstated for eligibility while he's alive? I don't. And I think it's a travesty, to be honest. Um, I I think Pete Rose should have an opportunity. Let me tell you this. If A-Rod gets in the Hall of Fame, 
And then you see guys like Barry Bonds not get in or or Pete Rose. I'm going to be really upset. And, and again, I think what Pete Rose, to be honest, what Pete Rose did in a lot of ways was worse, you know, than a lot of these steroid era guys um, because, you know, he was a manager and he bet on baseball um, and he lied about it. That's the big thing. But A-Rod lied about steroids and they caught him. I think twice, right? I mean, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, of course, we'll have to we'll have to see if he gets in or not. I suppose that's the question, right? Our right, last question we got Thanksgiving coming up. I always like to ask a food question if we can, because we can all fight friendly about food. <laughs> Simple question, easy question. Pie, you make it. Pie, you eat it. Pie, when you're done eating, does it get refrigerated? Mike Davis, do you refrigerate pie? as a leftover, or does it stay out on the counter or in the microwave until it gets finished? Well, if you come to my family's Thanksgiving, there is definitely not leftover anything, particularly <laughs> pie, so I don't know. Well, that sounds to me like a supply issue. They didn't make enough pie. If there's no leftovers, people <laughs> were left right. wanting, no? That's right. That's right. Or my Jason, family you... eats too much. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. If it's in front of them, it's going away. Jason, do you refrigerate pie when you get done? Uh, if there's leftover pie... Um, it means number one, somebody didn't make the pie right. Uh, but <laughs> I would definitely say um, if there is leftover pie, you can refrigerate it. Um, but I think with all leftovers, people need to understand after about four days, throw it away. You know what I mean? It is not good anymore. Stop trying to eat leftovers for two weeks. You're trying to end up in the hey. hospital. Four, four days after the apple pie is just beginning to be like the McDonald's apple pie. So I don't <laughs> maybe not sure that we agree on the time sensitivity of the leftovers. But uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for the time. For my part, by the way, I think it's OK to refrigerate a pie only if you had to refrigerate it to make it. If you bake it to make it, it stays out on the counter. Plus, it'll get eaten faster. Well, that's it for the debate. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Jason and Mike. Great conversation. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for listening to the debate from Newsweek.